God answers prayer, doesn't he? He does. Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 21. And I want to talk to you today on this idea of uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What, what does that mean? So let's, uh, let's look at the passage. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, the apostle says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. I'm going to give you three points this morning of what this life is all about. And let me just give you a fourth one right now that I didn't include in the message. And that is that living this life in Christ will mean that we live sometimes a life filled with conflict. And that's what he ends the passage with. He says, uh, you're going to have the same conflict that you saw that I had and that I'm having now towards the end of that passage. So just a quick reminder as we go through this book about joy. Paul is talking about the conflicts and the struggles that he's had, the challenges that he's faced, and that's the encouragement for us to maintain our joy in the midst of these things. But understand, Paul's not unique. Every one of us go through trials and tribulations, and, and we have to face those with courage. And so we'll talk about that in a little bit. So I want to focus our attention today on Paul's words in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So what does Paul mean by that phrase, to live as Christ, to die as gain? It's poetic, it's beautiful, but what does it mean? I think we have to look back to verse 20, and he gives us probably in more clearer words what Paul is saying to us. He says, as it is in my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that will full courage now, as always, and this is what he means, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That's what Paul's saying when he, he, he's saying, for me to live as Christ and die as gain. He says, regardless, if I live, if I die, Christ will be glorified. He, my life will be devoted to glorifying him, to honoring him. If I live here, I'll live for him and I'll serve him and I'll bear fruit for him. If I die, I'll go right to his presence and I'll be with him. I mean, when we look around the world today, I'm in no hurry to leave this world right now. But I'll tell you, the older we get and the more wicked this world becomes, Heaven sounds a lot sweeter than it ever has, doesn't it? Can you imagine being in a world where there's no fake news, where there's no politics, where there's no sickness and COVIDs and all these things, where there's no cancers? It's not such a bad proposition to spend eternity with Christ in that type of place. But we may not go there right now. 
God has something for us to do. And so certainly that's a great thing. But what Paul is saying, but if I live here below, I'm going to glorify him here in my life also. I'm going to serve him here. As we get older, it's uh, exciting for us sometimes to look around the congregation and see our young people and rejoice in their lives and think, man, what could God do with them? What is God going to do with their lives? I'll tell you what, as soon as you are as soon as you possibly can, I don't care how young you are in this room today, you should make your goal to live for Christ. To glorify him now while you're young, while you've got the energy, while you've got the strength, and one day you will also enjoy the benefits of heaven. But boy, start serving God while you're young. Start serving him while you're young. In Philippians, in in verse 20, we saw this idea of Christ being honored in our body. And that phrase at the end of the verse, that's the heart of the whole thing. Christ is honored in my body, whether I'm living or whether I'm dying. In the New Living Translation, he words it this way. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. So this morning, I want to give you three points, three ways that we honor Christ with our lives. If, if that's the goal, that I'm going to honor Christ with my life, what does that mean? And I believe he gives us some clues in this passage. And the first one is, if I'm going to honor Christ with my life, I need to live with courage. Live with courage. Paul told Timothy, his son in the faith, he said, God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I'm not suggesting by any means that you cast out the sound mind, use the brain, think twice before you do things, but don't let fear keep you from living your life. It's been my experience in in not only my personal life, but even observing others, that when God calls you to do something, usually there's a little bit of fear involved in that. And I think of Joshua in the Old Testament when Joshua was going to take over uh, the reins of Israel. Moses has died and he's gone on and young Joshua's there. And one of the things that he tells Joshua is be strong and of good courage. He tells him don't be fearful. Have faith, trust God, and have courage. So this full courage that we read about in verse 20, because that's what he told us in 20, abounds in Christ and affects the way we live our life. Because of Christ, we can live with courage. Um, Charles Spurgeon, on his notes on the book of Philippians, wrote this. He said, one of the old martyrs said to his persecutors as they were leading him to death, you take a life from me that I cannot keep and bestow a life upon me that I cannot lose. Amen. That's, that's a little of the courage that we're talking about. Can you imagine that martyr as he goes before his executioner saying, hey, you're taking a life that's going to go anyway, but you're giving me eternal life, something I cannot lose. And look how much Paul emphasizes courage in this passage that we're in today. In verse 14, he said this, and most of my brothers, having become confident or courageous in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This courage is a theme that he will present in this chapter. In verse 20, we already read, he tells them that that with full courage, now as always, Christ would be glorified. In verse 21, it's the epitome of courage. He says, if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's Christ. In other words, uh, hey, living's great, but if I die, that's even greater. That's courage. And in verse 28, he said this, and not frightened 
in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. G.K. Chesterton said, Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live taking the form of a readiness to die. That's courage. And D.L. Moody said, Take courage. We walk in the wilderness of today and in the promised land tomorrow. That's the kind of life that I believe that we should live, a life of courage. And how does that take form in our lives? For Paul, I mean, he is, he's giving us that. But every one of us make the choice every day, am I going to be courageous today or am I going to cower down and not go out and do all that God wants me to do? Maybe God has called you to ministry. That will take courage. It means maybe leaving behind things and moving forward. Maybe he's called you to teach a Sunday school class. And I know some of you, when we approach you and say, hey, would you like to teach a Sunday school class? You could just see the fear come all over you. Maybe God's leading you to sing special music. And you say, well, I'd really like to, but what's holding you back is this lack of courage. Live with courage. Step up, speak up. As young people, what is God calling you to? If he's calling you to, to become a teacher, don't let fear of failure keep you from going to college and getting your credentials. Go for it. If he's calling you to become a doctor, follow God's call. Have the courage to do these things. Maybe he's calling you and, and it'll take you away from home, a distance from home, and you'll be away from family and there's a little fear there. If God has called you, he will go with you and you can go with courage. Maybe he's just called you to be a witness and a testimony to your neighbors. These things, we must trust God to give us the courage and the strength to go on. This morning, we were, I wasn't talking, I was eavesdropping, I suppose, but Connie and Kathy were talking, and they were talking about weddings and all these kinds of things and how young people are when they got married. And I'm sitting back there, and Kathy said, yeah, Mike was 19 when we got married. And I thought, man, I was either very courageous or very stupid. But it's, I know it was courage. I know it was courage. But what you have assurance from God when you pray for something and you know it's God's will, you follow it. And it doesn't mean fear won't be there, but courage overcomes our fear. Courage says, I'm going to trust God no matter what. I once heard Dr. John Maxwell say, uh, it was at a conference in Sacramento, he said, your potential is God's gift to you. And what you do with your potential is your gift to God. And I've always liked that. And I look around this room, and man, not that you know, most of us don't have potential. We all do, but especially our young people. Man, I see some of you, and I say, man, that kid is going to be a preacher when they grow up. Or that, that gal, she's going to be a great Sunday school teacher. Or this one's going to be, they're going to be a, man, they're going to be a, a force to be reckoned with. And we think about the potential that some of you have, and the only thing that's really standing in the way is whether you have the courage or not to follow that. And I'm submitting to you today that a life lived for Christ and glorifying Christ is a life filled with courage. Step out and do what God calls you to do. 1 John 4.18 just gives us the blanket for this. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And that's the hope and the assurance that we have in Christ, that, that when we know that he loves us, it removes all the fear from us. Because that means that he loves me whether I succeed or fail. He loves me whether I reach this place or this place. 
His love will never change. And so because of that, we should be courageous and take the risks and go big. Go big. The second thing that a life that will glorify God is a life filled with charity. Listen to what Paul said. He said, I, I, I'm in a straight betwixt two. He says, I, I, I kind of want to go and be with Christ. That would be great. And yet he comes back and he says, nevertheless, uh, for your sake, I will probably remain here because I believe there's some growth that can take place, that I'm staying here for your benefit. You know what Paul was expressing? He was expressing charity or love. He was saying that I love you enough that I'm going to stay and do this. I mean, that's a big thing, isn't it? When we pray for our loved ones, we can pray and ask God to heal them and, and take away sickness and disease. But one of the things I think is kind of nonsense is when our loved ones have died and gone to heaven, the last thing we would want for them is to come back here. Heaven is far superior to this place. We pray for them while they're sick and we don't want them to go, but once they're in heaven, why would we ever want them to leave that place? But that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I love you enough that even as great as the prospect of heaven is, I'm choosing to stay. That's a life that glorifies God, a life filled with charity. He considers all those options and he makes the unselfish choice for the sake of others. The truth is our lives are empty if they're not lived with charity. Our lives are empty if they don't have love. Listen to what Paul said in Corinthians. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Without life, in other words, without love, he says that I'm just a bunch of noise. That's all that I am. It's just hollow, it's just noise, there's no substance. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So this life that we live should be a life of courage, but it should also be a life filled with love. And that is the most satisfying at all. How sad it is that some folks go through this life just avoiding people altogether, avoiding relationships, avoiding loving others. Sometimes we are just so busy about our lives, we feel like it's our, our journey is to get through this life without making contact with anybody. We're like the person in the grocery stores that sees someone they, they know and turns the other way real quick and goes because they know they're going to get caught and they're going to have to talk. But on a grander scale, what kind of life is that? When we go through and at the end of this life, we've touched no one. We've affected nobody. I was reading an article about, of all things, pinball. And some of our young kids probably have no idea what pinball is. They know video games. But in this pinball, they were, the Chinese government had said that pin, or not pinball, they said video games are a spiritual opiate. And it just caught my eye there, and it really had a lot of truth to it. But the, the article had a little bias because it was written by a guy who's a pinball uh, person. 
But as he was talking about the pinball, he was talking about that ball shoots up there and it comes down. And the way that you win in pinball is that ball needs to make contact with as many things as possible on the way down. And the worst thing in pinball is you pull the little lever back and you shoot that ball up and it goes straight to the top and comes straight down the middle and there's nothing you can do. You're flipping your flutters and nothing's happening. No points. I thought a lot of us are like that in life. We're not making any contact with anybody. And a life that glorifies Christ is one that's filled with love. That means we come into church on Sunday, we're shaking hands. Yes, we might even be hugging people. Um, We might even be kissing people. If that's you, stay away from me. I'll, I'll go for the hugs, but not the next step. We're patting people on the back. We're telling them we're so glad to see them. We're praying for them when they go through struggles. We're crying for them when they're hurting. We're rejoicing with them when they celebrate. We're loving people. And it means when we leave this place and we go out into the community, we're taking an interest in others. That the waitress who'll serve you this afternoon, you ask her in sincerity, how are you doing? And you thank them and you tip them like you should tip them. And, and, and you're just filling this world with the love that Christ has poured into your heart. And when you go to work, you're not just there to get a paycheck. You're there and you see it as your mission field. And you're loving your coworkers, And you're loving the children if you're a teacher. Or you're loving the patients if you're a nurse or a clinician. But you're looking for every opportunity possible to touch people's lives with the love of Christ. That's the life that glorifies God. And the third thing is a life that glorifies God is a life with conviction. A life with conviction. He said in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Do you catch that first phrase? Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's a consistent theme that Paul has stressed to the churches, living worthy of the gospel. In Ephesians 4 and 1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In Colossians 1.10, he said, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In 1 Thessalonians 2.12, he said, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And in 2 Thessalonians 1.5, he says, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So what does Paul mean when he's saying, live in a manner worthy of the gospel? One author said this, for Paul, it means ascribing worth. When he commands others to live in a worthy way, he means we should live in such a way that shows that we believe that what we believe is of supreme worth. For Christians, it means living in such a way that Jesus is seen as big, that Jesus is seen as glorious. That's a life that glorifies God, that when people around us see the way we live, they can look and they can say, hey, there's something to this gospel that they talk about. 
the life that they're living is different than anyone else I know. And it proves to them that we're not just talk, that this Jesus that we talk about is real to us, that he is important to us, that he is everything to us. We are saying, this God that I serve, this Jesus that I have trusted as my Savior is worth all the world to me. He's the most valuable thing that we could have. So, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does it mean? It means we live with courage. And I would challenge you, find out what God wants you to do in this life and pursue it with courage. And that may be ministry related, but it also may just be something in your daily life. If you're married, you ought to be pursuing being the greatest husband or the greatest wife that you could be and do it with courage. If you're thinking about having kids or you do have kids, you need courage. <laughs> having raised three kids, I'm telling you, you better be courageous if you step into that arena. But have the courage and do it and raise your kids to know and trust God. This life is about courage. It's about charity or love. A life that glorifies God will touch as many people as possible. And it's also a life with conviction that I live in such a way that people know how important God is to me. You know, just the fact that you're here today says a lot about how important God is to you. It says it to us, but it says it more importantly to your family and your neighbors that see you get up and go to church on Sundays. That's important. You reading your Bible, you praying over a meal. If you go to lunch today, pray over your meal. You know what that is? That's living a life worthy. People see that and say, wow, look at that. Let me leave you with one verse, Galatians 2 and 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. For me to live as Christ, as a believer, it can be no other way. Because the me has been crucified. And it's now, he says, Christ living in me. And I love the last part, that he loved me and gave himself for me. That ought to give us the courage, the charity, and the conviction to go forward with boldness. I want to challenge you to live a life that pleases God and is glorifying to him. Let's stand. Lord, we...